And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 574. We're going to be talking about divorce and remarriage. I'm Ricky Gantz. This is Mike Miller. and We are G220 Radio. We want to welcome you to the program here tonight. Mike, how are we doing tonight, brother? <clears throat> doing pretty good. Um, we had some fun yesterday. We went to SeaWorld. Oh. And so trying to push out all the evolutionary teaching and how things adapted um being able just to see how god made certain animals is always a fascinating um part of kind of even going to zoos and thinking about this opportunity to see how um god made different animals yeah. so it was a fun time the kids enjoyed it yeah, when we were down in Florida, we went to SeaWorld too. And it, it amazes me when you watch those those dolphins and those killer whales and just uh -huh. the creation that God has given to us to be able to enjoy, you know, and, and just for his glory, he made these animals, but these these amazing creatures. And 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 like you said, you, you do have to, no matter where you go today, whether it's zoos or history museums you know, uh, um, SeaWorld, wherever you go, you do have to correct those evolutionary, you know, <clears throat> things that they're trying to institute and uh, in indoctrinate. I probably would be a better, better way of saying it, indoctrinate uh, others with. And so, uh, um, but it is a wonderful thing to be able to see that. I'm glad you got to enjoy uh, your time with the family there because it is a wonderful, a wonderful place to go and, and hang out. Did you guys go through the, uh, I think they have the penguin exhibit where you, it's we, real cold. Yeah, we ran out of time. There's too much to do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so, um, yeah, we just ran out of time to do everything. We wanted to go on a one ride. I think like the weights were like 55, 65 minutes. We're like, mm -hmm. yeah, our kids, my, my five-year-old cannot wait 65 minutes for a ride, no matter yeah. how cool be right so uh, right we um so we did other things made mm -hmm. the most of what we could and could not do and yeah just enjoyed watching uh the seals the sea lions oh yeah um we watched the the okras the killer whales and the dolphin show and it, yeah it was just the power that they have it is kind of unfathing and yet we serve a more powerful God who created them. It's just, right. you know, you think about, I think, and, and it's good. We talked about this a little bit, but just how, you know, the, the world declares the glory of God. And when we see how creatures he's made, we should give glory where it is due. Yeah, absolutely. Amen, brother. Well, tonight we are continuing our family series. This is the second to last uh, episode in this series. Uh, we want to encourage you to go back to uh, or go to our, our YouTube channel. If that's where you're watching on or if you're watching on uh, Facebook, you can go to our G220 Radio YouTube channel, go to the playlist, go to family series. And I believe it should all be up to date in there. If not, I'll, I'll check after the program just to make sure everything's in there. But uh, we've been covering this series, going through, looking at marriage, looking at dealing with the difficulties that come in marriage because of sin. Uh, and, and then tonight we are definitely looking at divorce and remarriage. And this is a difficult 
subject to navigate. Mm -hmm. It's not that we don't believe that the scriptures are uh, um, give us uh, insight, that the scriptures give us wisdom to deal with this. But one of the things we've talked about on this program before is uh, sometimes while the scriptures speak on certain things, um, we, how can I put this? Not everything can come across black and white. You want to talk to an individual, kind of find out where you're com- where they're coming from as far as what are the reasons why. So we're talking about divorce tonight. So what would be some of the reasons why those individuals that you're talking to are going to through a divorce? Ultimately, we know that sin affects everything. We're, we're sinners by our very nature. And then those who even come to Christ experience the flesh that still remains and we struggle and fight against sin. And, and so therefore, even within a Christian marriage, you're going to have times where because of your sin, it's going to cause conflict within the marriage. Um, ultimately, we're, we're going to talk about these things tonight, but uh, when it comes to divorce, but it does happen. And so you want to be able to sit down and talk about these things. And as we get in this, there's some things that I want to talk about as well that I've seen from other channels where they've covered this topic. And they've said some things that I don't agree with. We'll get to those. So you got to stick around and find out what those are. Um, but I think can be dangerous in their counsel of this topic. And so that's why I think this is, is a, a very difficult topic to navigate. But I do think the scriptures do give us answers. Uh, but there are some things that, we again, we're trying to navigate through just as a pastor of a church is trying to navigate through this as he's counseling people. Uh, and so we need to be gracious. We need to be humble. Uh, we need to be seeking to honor God in the outcomes that we come to, the conclusions, I should say, that we come to with this topic. Mike? Yeah, and I think not only do you have that, you have the the culture, the spirit of the a, the age in which divorce is so prevalent for petty reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, as we talk about, there are some that would argue, you know, a view that we don't hold about this topic because of what is happening culturally, not necessarily because their position's more scriptural and it leads to some bad outcomes. And just to, to think about like in our, we're navigating something in our age in which we are seeing within the studies, the devastation of it. Like in, you know, when we talk about divorce and remarriage, you know, we're going to primarily talk about between husband and wife, but if there's kids in this relationship, right. That is a whole nother dimension. And, you know, and then just the, all the emotions that get wrapped up in these discussions, um, you know, it's, it's imperative that we are aware and empathetic on these kind of issues and these emotions, but also, as you mentioned earlier, to lay out what does the Bible have to say about this topic and then the wisdom to apply these biblical truths to not only a situation at large within our culture, but even maybe situations more personal. Um, within our family or friends relationships. Yeah. 
And uh, quickly here, I want to, I put this out in you know, a Facebook group, a local Facebook group, as well on my own Facebook page, hoping to get some responses. Uh, in the local Facebook group, I did get a couple of responses from individuals that I'm not sure if they're Christian. Well, the one I know is not a Christian at all. The other one, uh, I don't know if they claim to be or not. It doesn't seem like that based upon what they had uh, responded with. But this is from someone's seemingly from from individuals who aren't believers, but this is their view on marriage as a whole. We're talking about divorce and remarriage. I asked this question uh, about it. What do they think uh, um, the Bible speaks on? I was speaking to to try to reach to Christians, but the one lady, Misty, says, uh, I don't align biblically. I'm a Hindu, but marriage is a trap. Don't do it. And so I asked her to expound on that. What do you, what do you mean by marriage is a trap? Um, again, not looking to get into conversation with anybody over this one, just wanted to see where they were coming from. And uh, she replied, it's obvious once you're married, uh, it makes one feel stuck. You can't just break up and walk away. Marriage makes relationships more complicated than it should be. I am sure there are truly happy married people uh, out there, but I don't know any. And I truly believe marriage is outdated. Uh, it began as a financial transaction solidified in a social exchange called marriage. Wedding guests bore witness to the exchange, making the contract legitimate. Suitors would come first to a young woman's father and offer gifts to him in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage, then moved to having alliances with other families and out of status uh, eventually, and out of status eventually, it was for love. But it wasn't invented out of love. It was invented out of necessity to procreate, claim a woman, claim a woman as property, and to this day, some people still treat women like that. So this woman claims to be a Hindu and we would say it's a completely wrong view of what marriage is. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to get into all of that on this program because we've dealt with this when we talked about it in the other episodes we've done in this series, dealing with marriage. So anything, Mike, you want to say on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The I mean, obviously the history, how she says started it is counterfactual to what we have in the word of God, that God created a marriage. It was good. And yes, it was for procreation, but it also served a bigger picture in about love. And as you know, we've covered multiple times on that. And I mean, I think we have to see that as probably the predominant view of non-Christians and maybe even Christians or professing Christians in our society that really what marriage is, it's a tax break or it's just for procreation. And, you know, it's kind of a, in one sense, a life killer. And we see this bear out and that people are being are older when they're first getting and having kids mm -hmm. um, because they become quote unquote hindrance in their life. Now having kids changes everything. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not trying to deny that we've, you have to make sacrifices when you have kids. But I think the proper Christian view is those sacrifices are, worth it because of the joy that kids bring to a family. I know we'll probably talk about that more in our next episode, mm -hmm. but you just, you see the, the faultiness about how 
how people live. And I think it really is just seeing how people are unhappy in their marriages in the world today, because in some sense, it is for us a social construct mm. in our society in order to produce kids and to keep our lineage going and, and rejecting kind of the fullness and the wholeness that God has created marriage to be. Yeah. Now this next comment <clears throat> is something we will get into here uh, when we start talking about this a little bit deeper in the program, but this lady Valerie comments and she says, it's clear or it's quite clear Matthew five thirty two. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So according to Jesus, the only valid reason for divorce is adultery if you do divorce, you must remain celibate afterwards. Uh, if you are divorced and marry again, you are committing adultery. She says, I don't accept this as a good and reasonable guidance, but anyone who claims to be a Bible-believing Christian certainly should adhere to it. If you don't, you are a hypocrite. And so that's why I say, I don't think this person's a Christian because of that kind of ending there where she doesn't adhere to this, but is saying, look, if you're a Christian and you say you're a Christian and you don't do this, you're a hypocrite. So. Um, but those were a couple of the comments uh, that we received on that or that I received from posting that. And we are going to get into that because we're going to talk about Matthew 532 here as well. But one of the things that we want to touch on to get started, <clears throat> and like I said, we want to encourage you to go back and listen to our, our previous uh, episodes because we did cover marriage, the theology of marriage. And so it, it is in our previous episodes. And so I can't, I can't stress that enough because we're not, we don't have the time to kind of rehash that and cover all of that. But marriage is instituted by God. He does so. Mike, you've already touched on some of this. But in Genesis 2.24, we see that God says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one. One flesh. And the Bible also tells us that it's not good for man to be alone. So God created Eve for Adam. And these two were joined together, again, becoming one flesh. And so in that, we see that marriage is a beautiful thing. It's an institute that was instituted, not by society, not by the, the culture. It was instituted by God. And so the basis that many people have today, because they have, as you said, Mike, they, they kind of make it where society dictates what a marriage is for us, but or culture uh, dictates that for us. But this is something that was instituted by God and for good, for good. Go ahead, Mike. <clears throat> yeah, it's just, it's, you know, we have to understand the text. <clears throat> and as your comment says, there's, you know, she takes it as bad wisdom. And the question is, does she understand the text properly? Is there a a way to be obedient and not be hypocritical but what does the teaching as a whole say and then how does matthew 19 fit within the whole you know obviously yeah. that's what we're going to try to do today but to understand this topic fully it's just not just one section matthew 19 as if jesus has the final word and that's because while Jesus does have the final word, the Spirit wrote the Bible. And in one sense, it's all of Jesus' words. 
mm-hmm. as one God coming together. And so we have to understand all of it, both in light of Jesus's comments, but that Paul adds to it. Paul has something to say about divorce and it is equally authoritative as Jesus because it is still the one God who writes it. Yeah. And you know, and it, it, as Christians, we need to take the time to fully understand not only Jesus comments, but what is he pulling from? What is he looking at? Understanding the texts in which he is alluding to or directly quoting. Yeah. And, you know, that's how we pull. And I think, you know, when we start thinking about that, how that then applies, we'll probably start seeing some of the differences in how this should be applied and the wisdom that goes with it. Yeah. And that, excuse me, that is a very important part to make sure that we, we express here tonight. As Mike said, the Bible is not only red letters. Mm-hmm. If you have a Bible that has red letters in it, that you say, well, only these words of Jesus are authoritative and everything else is not, you don't understand how the Bible came to be. And you don't understand what it means that the, the word of God is breathed out by God. I literally had a guy say this to me today as I was evangelizing. Um, the guy told me that he tried to tell me a couple things. He was speaking out of both sides of his mouth because he tried to tell me that the Bible was was only the red letters applied. Only the red letters that Jesus says applies. Yeah. But then he said the Bible was corrupted and it was written by men. And so so it's kind of like you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth because if if it's corrupted by men and it's written by men, it's not inspired by God as as this man was claiming, well then how do you know the red letters were too based upon your standard? Mm-hmm. Then he said that we only have the Bible because the Catholic Church put it together. That's another mm. no, that's not how we got the Bible. So we want you to understand that when we look at this, it's not, as Mike said, only the red letters. It's only where we see Jesus speaking. He is the Word made flesh. And so the, the Word of God is all of Scripture. So even those parts where, where Paul says, not the Lord, but I say to you, still inspired Scripture. It's still authoritative. And so we need to uh, make sure you understand that when you're coming to to the text of Scripture. So now the Old Testament speaks on divorce. We we see it in in Deuteronomy uh, 24, 1 through 22. Uh, It talks about when a man takes a wife and marries her, if he then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts her and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that your Lord, that the Lord your God is given for you as an inheritance. And it goes on to continue. This is Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 22. But it's speaking on this divorce here. And, and we'll see as when, when, when Christ elaborates on Moses giving the certificate of divorces, we'll, we'll kind of get there. But we're seeing that there's divorces happening. 
in the Old Testament. Moses is, is permitting or allowing for there to be divorces. Okay. And so, but what does that, what does that mean? What, what, what does this look like? We also see God speak of this language when he talks about his, his bride, Israel, his people, Israel, and he speaks very harshly for them going after the other gods, uh, committing an abominations or idolatry with other gods. And he says, you play the whore, you play the harlot. And he speaks about this divorce, divorcing his people giving them a, a, a letter or a certificate of divorce. So this is language that's used in the Old Testament. It's also language, not just the language, we see these certificates of divorce happening. We've talked about this on our show when we talked about theology of marriage, how God has instituted marriage, and it is a picture of the closest relationship we can have here on earth from with a husband and a wife, and this picture that Christ is with his bride, the church his people. And that's important because these are types, but these types are playing out in our lives. We're seeing these things unfold and we're living in this. Um, and so we're seeing that this is how God has designed it. And sometimes because of sin, this is an out, this is a, an outworking of our sinfulness. Yeah. And even when we think about Deuteronomy, we have to understand it, that this is kind of a case law. Yeah. And what is it and kind of what is it referring to? I think when we read at it and we kind of read about it closely here in this, it's really talking about and thinking through it is that what would happen if this lady's second husband would either die or divorce? Like what can happen with the first? So it's when a man takes a wife, if he finds no favor in her, gives her a certificate, puts her, sends her away. She parts out of his house and she goes and becomes another man's wife. The latter man hates her, writes her certificate. So this is her second husband, hates her, write a certificate, puts it in her hand, sends her out. Or if he dies, um, she can't go back to her former husband mm -hmm. there. So there's kind of a, a specific aspect of how this law works out. And kind of thinking through the case of what's going on. And, you know, I think sometimes we kind of look at this and I think, and obviously the Jews kind of run with some of this ideas of how it is. Um, but this kind of defilement of going back, you're, you're one man's, like you can't and seemingly go back to your first husband and how it is. And as the rabbinic tradition talks about this, when they say like no favor, one tradition, I don't remember which one it was, was like, if your wife burns your toast, you can divorce her because she burnt your toast. Like they talk about no favor, mm -hmm. you know, burnt toast can get you a divorce and rabbinic language. And I think, and so when we start seeing kind of that this is a specific case. Now, I think we do see the Jews misuse it, but then even Jesus corrects them mm -hmm. and their misuse of how this is going. I think, I think it is important to, to realize that here in Deuteronomy 24, it's, it's kind of a specific case 
a specific use in which the law is and not necessarily talking about divorce as a whole, which Jesus would address in Matthew 19. Yeah. <clears throat> and one of the, the scripture, a uh, scripture reference to something I also threw out there. I didn't give a reference, but in Jeremiah 3, 8 is where I'm referring to where it talks about Israel playing this harlot. It says in, in Jeremiah 3, 8, she saw that for all the adulteries of that faithful or faithless one, referring to Israel, it says, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister, Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Uh, and so this is that strong language that God is using in this picture of a marriage, picture of, of divorcing uh, his, his people uh, because of their, mm -hmm. their sin. Malachi 2.16 says, for, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says, to the, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. And so, again, now speaking of divorce, we're seeing God is not for divorce. The Bible said God hates mm -hmm. divorce. So this is not something that is a, uh, that even though the, the Jews misused this, and even people today in our society misuse divorce, uh, remarriages, you know, um, even within the church, uh, there's a high percentage of people that are divorced within the church. Um, this is not something that's supposed to just be flippantly used. And, 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 um, as a way of, well, if we're not getting along, we're not happy, let's just move on. As, as you mentioned, like my wife burnt the toast. It's time to find a new wife. That's not clearly how God has intended things and not permissible. God's not saying it's okay for you to do that. We will talk about that a little bit more, but God is saying for this man who does not love his wife, see this emphasis here, when people have this idea that, well, women are just a property of a man. And so they can do whatever they want. God says, look, if you're not going to love your wife, and this is this is the whole, in the, in the whole second table of the law is loving your neighbor, right? You don't mm -hmm. commit adultery. You love your neighbor as yourself, which is the second of the, of the greatest commands, right? And so this loving your neighbor, loving your spouse, loving your family is not a, a, uh, a, a bad thing or a wrong thing. It's a good thing. It's the way God has designed and intended it to be, but because of sin, there we go, but by the grace of God. Sorry. Yeah. And then, and you know, we, we see this earlier. I mean, when Jesus talks about this and goes about it, we see it early on in Genesis. The, the doctrine and our understanding of divorce doesn't start in Deuteronomy 24, 1. Right. It starts in Genesis. It starts in Genesis 1. And it continues into Genesis 2 when we read the institution of marriage. And that's where kind of we think about marriage. And as we've done those shows, you can go back and listen to them back in, um, you know, February time frame. When we did them, that or the playlist, all of them are there. And we talked about it. so this conversation of divorce and remarriage is a further explaining because sin happened. Divorce mm -hmm. and remarriage, and why 
Moses wrote this is the hardness of our hearts, that we are sinful beings and that we maybe at times do things flippantly or quick without thinking. And even, you know, when we consider divorce and this idea of divorce in that, you know, it's kind of that way to get out, especially in, in no fault divorces like we have today. It's just, we can just, you know, essentially kind of break up moves, separate our lives, whole bunch of legal fees, legal battles on whose property is this and what and, and how all that goes. And that we should see that the bitterness of, of divorce, as the Lord kind of shows, is the result of our own sin. As you said, we're not loving our neighbor. Mm -hmm. We've chose to hate them and we wish them to be out of our lives. And some may even go farther to say that, you know, to actually get them out of their lives and, and killing them and hitmen, you know, people crazy. And I think the Bible really stops and makes us think, especially in the connection with the spiritual idolatry is can spiritually spiritual adultery is idolatry mm -hmm. and the gospel and its connection to marriage shows us that divorce in how God is misrepresents of who God is in it. God can, God chose his people. He never divorced his people. He will never cast them away. He loves them. And that becomes the model in which we see marriage. And divorce is the kind of the anti-model of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we see this in the Old Testament, we, we should see the grievance of what unfaithfulness looks like. Mm -hmm. Not only into God, but what that will count encounter in our own marriages. Yeah. Okay. So as we look at this, there is a poll that we have on our YouTube channel. If you're on Facebook, there's no poll. I'm sorry, but you'd have to go over to the YouTube channel. Um, but it says, are there biblical grounds for divorce? It only allows you to give one poll question. I had a bunch of questions in my head, but only one at a time. Close it and start another one. Yeah, I know, but um, I don't want to mess with all that. But um, are there biblical grounds for divorce? We've got 75% says yes, 25% says no. So now let's move into, now let's talk about what Jesus says about divorce. And as when I read that comment that brought up Matthew 5, uh, let's look at it. Matthew 5, 31 and 32 says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what we're talking about. This case law given to us in uh, Deuteronomy 24. And so Jesus is saying, look, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a, her a certificate of divorce. And Christ says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Um, we also see this in Mark and we see this in Luke. Same, same, you know, parallel passages that are uh, referencing here. We've got in Mark 10, it says, if she, uh, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So it's here again, re repeated Luke 16, 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries uh, a, a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And that'll kind of go into the remarriage part of things as well here. Uh, we will, we will talk about that, but we're seeing this. He's saying, look, this is not what I'm saying to you that, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for the grounds of sexual immorality makes his, makes her commit adultery. So Christ is correcting this idea that you can just divorce anybody on a whim. You can divorce your wife because she burnt the toast. You can divorce your wife because she didn't fold the clothes right. You can divorce your wife because she didn't do something the way you wanted her to do something. That's not this idea that these Jews had become to accept from even going back all the way to Deuteronomy, this giving a, a letter of, of certificate of divorce for whatever the reason may be. Um, but Christ is saying, no, that's not that's not the way I've intended marriage. Uh, we'll also talk about that in Matthew 19, <clears throat> not the way that marriage was intended. And but there is this exception, sexual immorality. Yeah. And to to think about what he's pushing back. So this is coming from um, Leon Morris in his pillar commentary on this section is that in the Jewish times, when they would release or divorce a woman, there would be a push to get her remarried. Now, I mean, they have no property. They can't have property. There is probably reasons for that. But Jesus is pushing against this idea of that they should just remarry. And in doing so, correcting these scribal traditions and showing that there's only really one ground and it's unfaithfulness to the spouse that allows it. They've, they've in one sense, broken the covenant that they've created with God. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so offensive and kind of allows for that escape because you like burnt toast yes i may not like it if my wife burns my toast not that my wife does she's an excellent toast maker and but she hasn't sinned against me she hasn't sinned against our covenant and so that's you know, it's it's the the respect of the crime that this is not just an agreement. It's an agreement between two persons with God mm -hmm. being a third. And when you break that covenant, that's that's serious. This is not just you know, neighbors agreeing to do something. And I think that's really kind of forcing us to think about what divorce tells us about who we are and kind of tells us about who God is kind of re with until, you know, Paul really explicitly tells us, we start seeing these ideas of how important this marriage covenant is in relationship on how God views as his people. Yeah. 
In Matthew 19, as, as we brought up that, that passage earlier, <clears throat> not alluding, or we alluded to it. Excuse me. Um, so let me read some of this here. So Matthew 19, 6 says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. He's reiterating again how God has intended the two to come together, to become one flesh, wherefore, or what therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. Let no man separate. Verse, verse 8, it says, he said to them, because you're of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed. He allowed because of your hardness of heart. Uh, he allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So again, Christ was the creator of all things. He was there in the beginning. He was the creator in the beginning. And he put man and woman together, instituted marriage there in the beginning. He said, this is not the way it was so from the beginning. This divorce was not the plan. This is not the plan from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew 19.9, uh, it says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, and again, he says, he re re reiterates here in, in 19, as he does in Matthew 5, except for sexual immorality. So except for the sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So sexual immorality, as we've been talking about, is a grounds for biblical divorce. Now I would say that as a Christian, that we who have been forgiven much can forgive. So that does not mean that I think if I was counseling an individual um, that if someone committed adultery, that the first option has to always be divorce. It could be because the grounds are there, but I think the 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 probably the the biblical and the wise thing to do would be to sit down with biblical counseling, someone who's going to work with you, and to see if this is something that um, was a one-time offense, something where there can be forgiveness, reconciliation and see the beauty of uh, a marriage that someone was unfaithful and yet that marriage was restored that marriage was recon those two reconciled and go on to live a very faithful a happy uh fulfilling or having a fulfilling marriage so it does happen go ahead mike yeah i mean i think there is there may be cases in which they should you know, go ahead and pursue, pursue divorce in the case of sexual immorality. But I think it, you know, with that same, it, unless there's something else going on, which um, we'll probably talk about in a little bit, you know, I think there is a goal to try to not only seek forgiveness, but to be restored. I think, you know, if it becomes a serial aspect, mm -hmm. yeah. this becomes a different question. Right. And I think if this unfaithfulness even happened once and it has led to abuse or even abandonment, I think those are also valid clauses. Those are coming from Paul and have some of his, his ideas. And so again, while we look at this principle, it takes wisdom mm -hmm. to know it takes someone with the ability to ask the right questions and to, to do those things and to point 
and and give spiritual directions and how that does. But when we look at what the Pharisees want, the Pharisees are asking the question that us as Americans, we've already kind of answered and no fault of all. This is for any reasons. And if we look at that and I skipped this over and I shouldn't have in Deuteronomy, if he's found no favor because he has found some indecent indecency, this kind of already plays this idea of a unfaithful wife and he gives a divorce. You can see how here in the tradition they've already read it's just they stop at the favor aspect without the other. And Jesus is not only calling him back to a proper reading of Deuteronomy, but also a proper reading of the Bible by going back to Genesis 2 and showing what it is. And and we should also read that it is our own hardness of hearts when we start with thoughts of divorce. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I, in, in wisdoms and, and thinking about these, we don't we don't talk about divorce. We don't use it jokingly mm. because this is a serious thing. I mean, the exception is unfaithfulness. It's a direct um, this unfaithfulness is a direct breaking of God's commands of his moral laws. And I think we we should heed the the strong language that Paul talks about. That is it is our hardness of hearts. But God created marriage to be good mm-hmm. and to to do it. And so we should pursue the good gift God has given to us in marriage. Yeah. And, and nobody wants to be cheated on. Nobody wants to have Mm -hmm. an unfaithful spouse and it hurts. It it will, it it can destroy a person. Um, They're, they're emotionally just could be completely drained from it. Um, Just an emotional wreck from it. So, we understand that when, when you're counseling, this is why I said some of the things that I've learned over the years with some different pastors is the ability to counsel people and having a heart for people. Because yes, the scriptures say stuff, say things that are true and we know it's there, but let me sit down with you and love you and have compassion on you and grace on you and, and work with you through these things. Um, not just here, let me give you a cliche or let me give you a script, you know, a word, even though it's scripture and we trust scripture. I'm not saying we don't counsel with the word of God, but I'm saying we, we are doing it with compassion upon people because that woman or that husband who was cheated on is going to feel a certain way. But that's why I said it doesn't have to be the first choice as, as April said, and I put it up there from the Saturn of truth podcast, one should strive to work it out, but it is grounds. The grounds are there. But if, if you take it off the table, like you said, Mike, with you and your wife, we don't joke about divorce. We take it off the table. We don't use it as something that we're even thinking or considering. So when something seriously happens within a marriage where the covenant is broken, where the trust is broken, it's not the first direct option that's thrown out there. There's mm-hmm. counseling that's sought. There's trying to work things through. Um, and And as much as it hurts, it's God working in us 
during those times of difficulties, during those times of mm -hmm. trials, um, and where you are experiencing hurt from the sin of someone else that was close to you, and now maybe the trust is broken. But there can be a restoration if God God can restore those those situations. It doesn't always happen. He doesn't always restore those marriages. But sometimes we see them restored. And then, as I said earlier, some of those marriages go on to be very faithful, fruitful, you know, fulfilling marriages. And, and they have 50, 60 years of being married, married, but they did have this time of there was an unfaithfulness, but they were able to work through that. But it may not be the case for, for everyone. It, it may be a case where, again, you end up becoming or being in a relationship with someone who's a serial adulterer, right? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. And I would say, you know, even with that, if this is a Christian or claims to be a Christian, he's a member of a local church. You know, not only is there this grounds there, there's grounds for him to be disciplined, to go through the steps of Matthew 16 and and work through these, um, which is also a plan of restoration. And to to think about. I mean, sin does have consequences. Yes. And trust has been destroyed. Trust has to be rebuilt. And it's hard to rebuild trust. And, and so when something like this happens, I mean, I can't fathom the emotional aspect of of going through that. And I think, and that's why we need to take care because it is a very unstable emotional time. And it, it needs to be dealt well yeah. with your pastor, with a, a biblical counselor who can def to can go through these to think about them and to bring about true change mm -hmm. within the person's heart. That's, that's really what we want. And when you think about spiritual serial adulterers, they don't want the change. They, they are comfortable in their sin. And, in, in one sense, they make themselves out to be an unbeliever. Mm. And again, that's where having then the church discipline, if they're a member of a local church, to, to move them out of the church because they're not accepting their correction. You know, obviously in counseling, there's now these witnesses involved. You've moved into kind of that second step of, of church discipline. Mm -hmm. And they, if they refuse and they keep going on, we, we need to treat them as they are, as unbelievers. And so not only are you stacking on that this, this wife has been or husband has been cheated on, their, their spouse has been unfaithful. Now you have to go through possibly a church discipline process against the one whom you've loved. And and maybe still have feelings of love for even in in the destruction that has come out of it. Mm 
And so, I mean, you can see how the sin that happens compounds exponentially in, in these cases. And I think it just calls us as Christians to really not only pray for our spouses, but pray for our own hearts as we, as we pursue our marriages with our spouses. Yeah. So now you alluded to it already, Mike, but we go into, that was looking at what Jesus had said about divorce. And now we're looking at what Paul has said, because you alluded to this as well. Paul says in first Corinthians seven, um, he goes on and he says to the married, I give, well, let me actually go to this uh, because um, there's more than just the verses I wrote down. But he says in, in verses 10 and 11, I'll just read it here and then I'll go there and I'll let you talk on it. But he says to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. So he's speaking on divorce, but also in that passage, uh, let's see, there's abandonment. Let me go there. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, if you want to fill in while I turn there. Yeah. So that's, it's right there in verse 12, um, in the same chapter. Yeah. Um, to the, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman with a husband who is an unbeliever, he consents to live with her. She should not divorce him for an unbelieving husband may is made holy because of his wife and an unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children should, would be unclean as it were, they are holy. But if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother and sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And when you think about these together, um, is that he charges them to stay together. They shouldn't separate. Mm -hmm. And if they do there is this remaining unmarried. This is Paul in different words saying what Jesus has already told us. And that, that we shouldn't be getting divorces then. And even if there is a separation that they shouldn't be divorced, but they should be reconciled. So either they become remain unmarried or they become reconciled and come together. And then in verse 12, you have this idea of what, you know, asking the question, what if I am an, what if I'm a believer and my spouse is not, and maybe this could be, you're both unbelievers when you got married and you became a believer, or maybe you are both professing believers and your spouse wasn't a true believer. You know, there's, we can see where, Christians may find themselves in this type of situation. Mm -hmm. And what does Paul say? Paul tells us to stay, the, to stay with the unbeliever. And that with your presence there, they're in one sense close to holy things and are able to see your life. It's in one way demonstrating the gospel change in your life to your unbelieving spouse and seemingly your unbelieving children. Mm -hmm. they're, they're close by in this relationship. 
But if the partner separates, he seeks divorce, then you're free to take divorce. He's a he's left you. He's abandoned you. I think this also plays, and my pastor has a sermon of um kind of talking about this too. That in relation with abandonment is um abuse when yeah. your unbelieving spouse or even your professing spouse abuses you, they have abandoned you. They no longer love you, they hate you, and they have abandoned you. You and you don't have, you know, you don't have to take it. You can find refuge. You can leave. I think in the same sense, this would be in verse 10 and 11 that you try to reconcile, but you need right. to leave and you need to get that space. Mm -hmm. And if they choose to divorce you, I think you're, I think as part of this, you're free to do it, to remove really you're hurt what someone who hates you from your life because they have abandoned you spiritually and hated you. And I think what we see here in Paul is then basically you, this person has left you. They don't want you. And most likely they're probably also being unfaithful and that you are God. This is God's opportunity of freeing you from that um, sinful person to kind of pursue righteousness better to, I mean, he says that God has called you to peace that you can then live your Christian life in peace, um, moving forward in the grace of the Lord. Yeah. And that is one of the things too, that I've, I've, I've said over the years in having conversations on this, that, so we see adultery, sexual immorality, is a reason that God gives us for grounds of divorce. Paul adds to this and says, abandonment is a reason or grounds for divorce. And like you uh, had stated there, Mike, I'm in the same boat as your pastor has mentioned. I think uh, abuse, physical abuse, uh, is another reason that kind of, it falls with that abandonment. You're abandoning the covenant that you made to cherish, to love, to faithfully um, treat this other, uh, your, your partner, um, as one that you made a covenant with, but you've broken that covenant. You're unfaithful to that covenant. Um, and you're physically abusing that person. Now, again, um, I think that if someone is, let's just say, for example, a husband and wife are having an argument and the husband hits the wife out of anger, out of this, that doesn't necessarily mean the first step is divorce. You try to seek that counseling and try to bring about that change within that individual through the counseling and God's word being poured into them as they're sitting there trying to deal with that individual sin that led him to the point where he was responding in that way. But some situations aren't like that. Some people are just physically abusive and they continue to abuse and they continue to manipulate the situation and keep that individual in bondage where they don't want to speak up and tell what's going on and so forth. And so I think that falls into this line where you're no longer bound by this. You have that freedom to seek that peace and not have to deal with that. Um, ultimately, if, if you're being abused, I think you, you need to call authorities. 
And uh-huh. that should be first thing, call authorities, get yourself into a safe place. Yeah. And then seek that counseling through through your local church, through your pastor and whatnot. Um, but these are grounds then that are given. These are grounds that are given. So now as we, we get ready to wrap it up and we, we talk about remarriage, I mean, we could probably spend a lot of time here. Uh, we'll see, see what we do. But this also becomes a part here where when it says, but if the unbelieving so- partner separates, let it be so. Because we've already talked about Christ said, if you do give the, your spouse a certificate of, of divorce, don't there's no re, like don't remarry like you you're not gonna if this person goes and remarries they're committing adultery so it's it's mentioned it's there that warning is there and so we have to look at it we have to consider what is being stated so when Paul is saying this here but if an unbeliever partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved they're not enslaved um, God has called you to peace as we mentioned so there are some who will take this and say. They're, they're free, completely free now, even to remarry if they choose to do so. Gill says this in his commentary. Gill says, nor are they bound to be to remain unmarried, but are free to marry another person. After all proper, he says, after all proper methods have been tried for reconciliation. And that appears to be impracticable. Uh, desertion in such case and attended with such circumstances is a breach of the marriage contract and dissolution of the bond. Uh, and the deserted person may lawfully marry again. But there are some who take a strong stance and say, no, there's no more remarriage. I know uh, Dr. Charles Stanley uh, just died recently, passed on, but I know he was one who went through a divorce and and remained unmarried the rest of his life. But I believe because this is the stance that he was taking. There's no, you're not going to remarry, right? So there are some who take that. I think... Uh, I don't want to throw out too many names because I don't want to. I think Vody Bacham takes a permanence view of marriage. So if this was to happen, John probably John Piper does. So so those are some that would say no. There's no then remarriage. But then there are some who do, and so this is where it comes down to: what do we do here? This this remarriage. Um, I fall on the side that I do think that if there is uh, these reasons are biblical reasons for um, divorce that a person can seek that option of remarriage. Doesn't mean they have to, but they can. So that's kind of where I fall down on that. Could be wrong, but that's where I fall down on that. And, um, but I also think that, again, you really need to have counseling and to figure out what was the causes for those divorces. Was it just because people just didn't want to be together? They were unhappy. They wanted to look for something else. Those are all um, things that you have to factor in and understand. That's kind of where I am. Like, I don't know if you're in the same place or not. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced of the permanence of you. Um, that if one gets a div- a lawful divorce, a biblical divorce, that they are bound to not get married again. I think, um, you know, if you go to verse eight, to marry and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I as I am. But if they cannot control exercise self-control they should marry for it's better to marry than to burn with passion and i think when a biblical if your divorce is done within the biblical parameters you find yourself kind of in that unmarried unmarried status and if you and so then i think it comes down to is you do you desire to get remarried 
or you know can't control you don't have self-control of your passions or do you and how you can kind of at that point what god has called you in that life and to to think about it in that way and you know obviously there's questions i felt when i read john uh piper's view on this he really kind of his main argument was more in our social context instead of kind of a biblical understanding of it um but yeah i think um you know you are now in that marriage status and i think you have the freedom in christ to to marry again um you well know, let's look at the it lord too. yeah sorry let's let's look at it too Let, let's say maybe we're wrong in this stance and someone and and one should remain single if they've been divorced mm-hmm. so for the listener you're you're listening and you're like well I was divorced, but I have remarried. What do I do now then? Am I committing adultery? And this is what I heard from another YouTube channel before when I was listening to some people that were talking about this topic. They literally counseled people and said, if you were divorced and remarried, you need to divorce that person and go back to your other spouse or remain single. Which I think going back to your your first spouse kind of goes against Deuteronomy there. Um, of taking one back, right? But then you also, which we mentioned, but we didn't really touch on as we was just kind of moving there, you have kids. What if your second marriage, now you have children from this marriage, this kind Mm -hmm. of advice that now divorce and go back, and now it disrupts that family unit. And you could be married, you could have been married for 30 years. You know, you was divorced, maybe married young, divorced young, and then got married and you're married 30 years. These people were counseling to do that. So I think, we know that those who are in Christ, if, if you were married, divorced, if you were divorced before you was a Christian, you come to Christ, there's a new creation. If you were divorced um, not as a, or as a Christian and it was biblical grounds, I believe you're free to remarry. But even if we're wrong, and it is not that, that you're, you're free to remarry, but you did remarry, there's forgiveness. And you yep. don't remain a continuous adulterer because you have been remarried. That's kind of where mm-hmm. I fall on that, Mike. I don't know um, what you would want to say as well. Yeah, I I agree with you on it. I think there's, um, you know, Piper argues the same thing in his book, This Momentary Marriage. And I just, I feel like it just makes everything more messy. And there's more issues, especially when we know how devastating divorce is to kids. And and how the kids suffer for nothing they've done. Really, they're kind of they they receive yeah they receive the punishment for things they had no control over. They suffer consequences with it. And I think you know, and and understanding that we do have a forgiving God. Yes, we may make wrong choices. Yes, we may have to suffer the consequences of those wrong choices. But God is quick to forgive. And even if you have you come to the conclusion of a of a of a permanence view and you're in your second marriage, 
seek for forgiveness and then live out this theology with your new marriage and, and be a demonstration to your kids or even your stepkids or, or wherever that, that those are in what biblical marriage should look like. And even in your example, you can show them the harm done of your past choices so that they now have the wisdom and knowledge to make the proper choices, especially if you're currently demonstrating what you actually believe and they can see the difference between what happened before and then what's happening now. Yeah. And lastly, before we wrap this up, um, and we've gone a little bit over, so I apologize for the time. Um, but thank you for those who are sticking with us. But now the question has to be asked. Let's say you are a divorced person. Are you one then that would qualify to be an elder or a deacon within a church? Because when you look at these qualifications, it says that an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. We have talked about this on this program before. We do not believe that one wife means someone who's maybe been through a divorce or one per, a person who has... Um, uh, yeah, someone who's been divorced, but it's, it's meaning a one woman man. You're faithful to the one that you're with, right? I do think that when we look at this for the office of an elder or the office of a deacon, if one was before Christ had committed sin, maybe they were married, divorced, then they 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 come to Christ. We that I think plays a factor. Okay, this person was not a believer; they lived like an unbeliever, and then they got saved. And they're faithful to the Lord. They're they're living um, as the Lord has commanded. They're doing what you know uh, what God has called them to do. So I think that that person still qualifies to then be in a position like this. What if one was a Christian and experiences divorce? Well, was this grounds of divorce biblical grounds of divorce? I think that comes into factor as well. Now, if it wasn't biblical grounds of divorce. I think we do have to seriously ask this question. Um, well, then, if this if this person was not um, if it wasn't biblical grounds for divorce, then does this person qualify? I think these are questions that need to be asked and then kind of addressed. And I think it it does depend on the church congregation that you're a part of, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are some who maybe take those permanent views. I know being in some independent fundamentalist Baptist churches, if you were a divorced person, at times it was almost treated as if that was the worst of worst sins that one could do. So you weren't able to serve nowhere in the church because you had been divorced. But a murderer could come in and become a pastor. Uh, you know, someone who had a, a fornication all before they they were married could come in and, and be a pastor. But if you'd been divorced, that you was at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um but these are questions that I think arise depending upon what these this congregation kind of holds to as far as these views, permanence mm -hmm. and whatnot. Mike? I also think time is a factor on this. You know, it would be one if a, a male quickly was was remarried, even on, on biblical grounds about how 
you know, to, to think about. I think time, time has a factor. And I don't even think, you know, even if it was an unbiblical view, does, does the longevity of the second marriage play a factor? Now they've kind of shown themselves. Yes, it was unbiblical. It was an unwise decision. Mm-hmm. And maybe forgiveness was sought. Restoration was sought. But in his in the second marriage, he has been faithful. He has showing that he is a husband of one wife and, and not moving in that way. I think, you know, the, these are kind of questions to consider with it. And I think if you are part of a church that doesn't, believe you can be remarried and hold these offices to also have peace in that, like understanding that, you know, you can still serve God, not even in a public capacity mm-hmm. and to, to help stir up in, in first Timothy four and how you train telling people, teaching the younger men about your follies and the effects of them. And how, you know, you may be now disqualified as a elder or as a deacon because of your folly, because of your own foolishness and sinfulness and living out that consequence there. And I think there's, you know, to to consider those ideas. And, you know, obviously with you, I think, you know, a husband who is divorced, remarriage on biblical crowns. Um, I think time is important there and just seeing them, making sure that he is being faithful to now this one wife and mm-hmm. he's still showing the sober minded, the self-control, the respectable, the hospitable, and all these other attributes that a overseer must have to fulfill his position in the church as a servant of the Lord. And again, wisdom plays a factor in this and it's learning to ask the right questions because as a, one who has, is a congregationalist and we get to vote in our elders, I need to understand this. I need to have the wisdom to ask the right questions of an elder when this comes up so I can make the informed and wise decision. Yeah. about whether I should submit myself to this elder. Right. And so, you know, this, this may be arguing over what does this mean and how this applies, but it does have practical exploration in our ecclesiology. When we, as in a congregationalist mentality, I have that option to vote for this elder and to to think and make sure and making sure that we are putting up to elder bringing the the right men in the proper offices yeah. and the same thing would go with deacons too that right. the same idea of you know servants in time um plays plays a factor in how this is and how how we should think about these things yeah. And I think, too, one of the things when we think about this in the qualifications for elders is we don't want to elevate this one of whether someone was divorced and remarried as the ultimate standard as to whether or not one is qualified, because there's many other things that are stated there 
Uh, it says the husband of one wife. This person must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? So again, as Mike, as you said, I think timing is important for this individual. You know, um, have they been divorced and they they just got remarried, and if they've only been remarried a year? Well, no, I mean, you probably shouldn't put that person in as an as an elder. Um, there should be some time there to evaluate. But also this other this person, I mean, because there are there are some that may be the husband of one wife and only been married one time, but they're not self-controlled, they're not hospitable, they're not, they're not gentle, they are quarrelsome. So these mm -hmm. things also are things that you're looking at. We don't just want to elevate that as the only yeah. worst sin that someone can have. And so if, if you've been divorced and remarried and are a Christian, know that there is forgiveness in Christ. Uh, you're not a continuous serial adulterer because you're remarried. Um, there's forgiveness in Christ. And um, you can go on and serve in the church. As Mike said, maybe you're not fitting the qualification of an overseer as a man uh, in, that, in that office. But there are ways you can still serve your church and love your church and be used by your church. And so... Um, just know that uh, uh, Christ is faithful to us. And even when we have not been faithful to him or we have not been faithful to others in our relationships, Christ is always faithful. God is always faithful to us. And so find your rest, find your peace, find your comfort in Christ. Uh, whether you've had a broken marriage, uh, Christ heals. He can restore uh, and he can restore you. So Mike, any last words, thoughts, comments before we wrap it up? No, I think you summed it up well. Obviously, um, you put it up on the, the screen for the podcast listeners. Go working through Isaiah 10. Ezra. I, I looked up Ezra 10. Yeah. I mean, you have this idea. It would probably go against what we'd say is they call to put them God away, put away the foreign the, wives. For all the foreign, the foreign wives. Yeah. And, you know, that would take some time to unpack. I haven't studied it. I'm not going to try. That to is interesting. It. it is interesting and needs to be considered. Like what is happening? Mm -hmm. Obviously this is. Um, what do they story. call those things? We'll put an addendum to this show. Yeah. An addendum. <laughs> um, do, do it like a YouTube shorts on it or something like that. Um, but this, you know, and I think you now have to get into is this descriptive is this prescriptive? How does this work? This is old covenant. So how does that relate within in the old old um, Testament law mm. and, and, and the faithfulness that they're called to go versus now kind of the law of Christ that we don't follow the laws in an exact detail of the old Testament. Um, though they do provide principles in which we should love others and love God. Um, so there, there's a lot there to try to unpack, um, this late, but again, a scripture that we should consider in this topic, what is happening here? Cause those who want to argue against biblical Christianity and biblical marriage, they're going to use the, they're probably going to, if they even read Ezra, um, would find that and try to use that in a way to discourage, or discredit um, Christians. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, so that's been our program for tonight. Again, thank you for tuning in with us. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about raising children. Uh, we will close out our family series uh, in dealing with uh, raising children next week. And so until then, uh, we hope you enjoyed the program. Again, you can go and watch this on the playlist on, on YouTube and and because we've already touched on the theology of marriage uh, before this. So you can go and, and, and listen to it there. But until then, God bless.